Hello and welcome to the Science of Footy podcast. As always, you're here with your host Liam and Bill. Welcome back, Bill. Yeah, good to be back. I haven't been here for quite a long time, eh? It's been yeah. quite a while since we put a podcast out. I know that you and Maddie had one. Liam, had that go? Yeah, it went well, talking to the uh, footy analyst. Maddie had a good debut, but uh, back with the original duo, back to talk some footy. We've missed quite a lot. Um, it's, it's grand final week. That sort of snuck up on us. We've been inactive throughout pretty much the whole final series, though, which is pretty poor form. But here we are, and we've also just had the Brownlow results last night. Yeah, Brownlow last night had the favorite come out winner. Do you reckon that's a uh, good result there? Was he due the Brownlow? Yeah, I think, you know, looking across the season in terms of consistent performance, it was hard to see anyone who was going to beat him. I was sort of cheering on side bottom there for a while and it looked like he had a chance. But yeah, Tom Mitchell too good in the end and, and well-deserved. I always find that funny in the Brownlow. They did that segment where they had like Cooney and Richo talking about how, because everyone wanted Richo to come from behind as the underdog. Everyone was like booing Cooney every time he got a vote. <laughs> Mitchell must have felt the same. Everyone was sort of like cheering on side bottom's votes and Mitchell's there like, hey, I had a pretty good year. No one wants me to win. Yeah, pretty rough. Um, not as rough as the haircut that Richo had. In, in <laughs> Very rough flashbacks there. Um, good to see. Good to see. So we had, yeah, Mitchell winning it on 28 and then Sidebottom coming in second, 24, with a bit of a surprise packet there in third. Angus Brayshaw with the 21 votes. Yeah, so didn't even cop an invite to the Brown League. No which is, invite. Um, yeah, pretty pretty harsh, I guess, when you're polling 21 votes. But obviously they probably not expected. I think Predictor had him on about 10 yeah, apparently went in with the 10 votes. I'll, I'll read you out the players that got the invite for Melbourne. So you had Jones and Viney, obviously the captains, they have to get the invite. And then you got Big Maxi Gorn, he was always meant to poll pretty well. Oliver, probably the best midfielder there. And then uh, that last place, do they give it to Brayshaw? No, they give it to Jake Melksham. Mm. I read it. I read, <laughs> <laughs> read Melksham, as we all know. I'm a big Melksham fan, so... <laughs> Don't know how he got the invite. Do you think the... Uh, was it just that he had the distinctive helmet on this year? Everyone notices him. You know, we've always had winners that come from sort of out of the uh, favourites coming up and doing well. You know, Swan's got the tats. Dusty's got the tats. Even Pritis had the long, weird hair. Everyone's got a little something-something to get the votes. Yeah, I think the helmet does help. Um, obviously, playing good footy is the main thing, and, and he certainly did that. But, yeah, it just makes you stand out a bit, I think. And, uh, yeah, 21 votes. I'm not sure anyone, probably even Angus himself, was expecting that. So... Maybe time to invest in a helmet. Yeah, everyone just next year is going to come in with like fluoro helmets and stuff and get noticed. Um, probably took all the votes off Oliver. I really going into the night that uh, Maxi gone saying that he'd get you know twenty five votes or whatever, and I really didn't see it. You know, it's never the big man's medal; it's always the midfielder's medal. And I sort of thought that Oliver would take the votes away from Gorn, but it just seemed to be that Gorn got the votes and Brayshaw just took them away from Oliver, who ended down at thirteen votes among Tim Kelly and a bunch of other midfielders of sort of the the younger brigade there do you think Oliver was a bit stiff yeah I do um he was yeah one of my mainstays uh draft captain all year so I was obviously pretty high on him all season he performed quite well um when I was watching him he always seems to play pretty well and yeah he's got Max Gorn there obviously taking votes he managed to fifth place 20 votes which is great for a ruckman um and leading Brody Grundy on 17 which is you know I'm sure he's pretty pleased with himself there and uh yeah, Oliver, probably a little disappointed, I think. Probably only finished on 13 votes, but he probably doesn't really mind too much. Uh, focused on finals footy, although unfortunately, Melbourne are out. My uh, my prediction of Melbourne for the flag is not going to come to fruition. Not going to come true. We'll get into a few game recaps later. Um, staying with the Brownlow, um, Dane Swan, back in 2007, we always had a repeat. It was that story back then when uh, he was sort of riding high, getting all the votes in the first half of the count, and 
the AFL call him up and say, you've got to get down here and he's in a Spider-Man costume down at a fancy dress party. Um, I don't think Brayshaw was at the fancy dress party, but do you reckon the AFL was getting a bit worried there in the last couple of votes? Or? Uh, there was that patch where Tom Mitchell came through. He, he had about three or four weeks in a row. He's polled three votes and sort of put himself ahead of the pack. I think they were pretty confident that he was going to win. The bookies were pretty confident. Yeah, couldn't really see it going any other way. So rounding out that top 10 there, we had Brayshaw and then Cripps, Gorn, Laird, Roy Laird having a good year, Dusty, Dane Beams and Jack Stephen, our boys coming in there, tying at 18 before Patrick Dane Defield and Brody Gundy. Does any names in that list sort of take you by surprise a bit? Not too many. Um, obviously, Angus Brayshaw is the main surprise there. Um, it's good to see the two rucks up there. Um, every now and then we get a key forward popping up, but yeah, it's pretty rare, at least in our time, in our day of watching footy to see um, the big men up there in the Brownlow votes. So that's good to see. Um, your boy Jack Stephen probably performed a little ahead of expectations. Yeah, it was interesting to see Stephen and uh, to a lesser extent Cripps. Everyone thought Cripps would sort of get the votes there, but those two in teams that sort of didn't get any wins all year managing to come out and poll really highly. It's Everyone's going to always ask, you know, would they perform better in a better team or would they do the exact same, be even worse because people are taking votes off them. It's uh, But it's good to see those boys in, you know, those bottom of the ladder teams getting up. Dane Beams probably could have had a few more votes to his name. I know he had a 33-touch five-goal game that he got no votes in somewhere in there that everyone was sort of going on about on my Facebook feed. Yeah, Beams, I think was expected to pull a few more, maybe crack the 20 mark there. But again, he's probably not too disappointed, I don't think, at the end of the night. Always a few weird games where people do or don't get votes coming out. I know there was a round two one with Marley Williams where he got the three votes off 14 touches and three clangers when uh, big Benny Brown kicked six goals on the Saints and didn't even get a vote. Do you reckon uh, Marley slipped the umpires a quick 50 to get a, get a few votes there? I think that what's happened here is they've legitimately just got the wrong player. I think yeah. they meant to vote for Ben Brown and they've given it to Marley Williams, but... Obviously, we'll never really know unless someone interviews those umpires. Yeah, and there was another game that everyone was complaining about with uh, Big Nat Fife getting the three votes in a game that Freer lost by like 94 points. Obviously, Fife getting noticed by the uh, by the umpires all the time. But do you reckon those people should get those big vote games if you're in a losing side by that much? Yeah, I think so. I think um, players' performances should be rewarded regardless of whether their team win or loses. Obviously, sometimes the votes are going to go to the winning team. Um, and it's sort of understandable, but... Yeah, there was a few votes I was paying attention to the count um, where players in a losing side managed to get both the one and the three or, or pop up with the one and the two before the winning side got the three votes. So it seems to be that they're awarding a few more votes to the losing side these days. And uh, Mitchell joins pretty uh, elusive sort of um, company there for Hawthorne really being the second sort of outright winner for the Hawks. We know Crawford won the medal a few years earlier, but apart from that, all of Hawthorne's winners have surprisingly been sort of dual or triple Brownlows. You know, you had Dipper and Platten and uh, uh, Mitchell sharing it um, over their recent Brownlows, you know, sharing it Mitchell with Cochin and Delike. Um, one of the only outright winners for the Hawks. It's quite an interesting little stat that came out. Yeah, quite an interesting little stat, and I think there's a, a decent chance we might see Mitchell up on the podium once again in his career is obviously pulling together those 45, 50 touch games. He's going to be hard to ignore for votes in future years as well. Yeah, it just seems like that magnet. It was interesting hearing him getting interviewed and talking about sort of his work ethic now and his diet has changed too. He's been going out with Diesel uh, Williams and getting training out of 
out of his uh, normal training hours and really putting in the hard work. So he's obviously one of those people that's just, you know, driven to play and driven to get the best out of himself. So seeing him rack up the ball and get to all the right places and run that hard on game day, it's really no surprise when he seems to just have the work ethic off the field as well. One of the other things awarded on Braille Knight are the goal and mark of the year, and uh, we had some pretty good ones this year, although Higgins' goal getting the nod, not really a fan of that. How about you, Lim? No, I think we talked about this on a previous podcast about what we thought of it. We thought, yeah, pretty crazy goal, bit of a different one. We weren't too sure if it was a throw or not, but we, I think we both had goals that we preferred. Did you like one of the other two there, or was there another one that you liked during the year? I think it was interesting that um, Jack Stephen didn't get nominated, so I think you could put his goal in ahead of Parker's because it's... It, relatively similar to the Higgins goal that sort of bicycle kick over the head um, so I think it would have been good for them to have three relatively different goals there and, and Stevens would have been well deserving to be in the top three to win I liked Charlie Cameron's not just because he's a Brisbane player I do like I rate those goals where it's sort of second third efforts you know getting involved in the play and then he had that good fend off to finish it off and a, a good screw kick over the shoulder so I thought that could have won and I think Higgins shouldn't have won because as we said I'm still in of the opinion that it's a throw um, I think you should be allowed to throw the ball up to kick like that, but it's the fact that he threw it around the post. To me, that sort of implies that you're allowed to throw over or around things, which means that I could throw the ball over someone's head and then try and kick it on the other side of their body. Um, obviously, that wouldn't be allowed. So in terms of throwing the ball straight up before it comes down to kick it, that seems fine, but the fact that he used the throw to dodge an obstacle, um, to me, puts it in this sort of area where you have to call it a throw, otherwise you're opening up um, you know, a lot of intricacies in the rules there that don't really fit yeah it's an interesting point and sort of with the double up you mentioned with parker i sort of yeah agree that those two are very similar and i sort of think parker's is a little better because he was you know 15 out from goal and got it to sail through and sort of looked a bit cooler he was sort of fallen back and i sort of like that one and yeah obviously steven didn't get the nomination how about mark of the year did you like heaney's big grab there yeah i did like heaney's grab um i was pretty confident it was going to win when they started playing it every two seconds on the the very start of the Brownlow night. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's a worthy win. It's a, it's a great mark. Um, I was once again cheering for Charlie Cameron, although I think Heaney's was probably the better mark in this instance. Um, I also thought Cam Rayner's mark could have got nominated. It was a really good pack mark, uh, you know, traditional specky over the pack and uh, taken about five seconds after Josh Walker took a great specky. So perhaps you could submit them as the a double duo. Specky, yeah, the yeah. double specky um, <laughs> duo. But yeah, unfortunately not to be. And I think Heaney's mark was a, a great one and well-deserving as a winner. Did you catch Higgins' uh, little speech there after he won it as well? Yeah, I did. Um, I kind of think he might have done something like that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always think that the AFL gave him the award on purpose so that they'd get him up there to do a speech like that. Um, they seem to get him on TV at any chance he gets. Anyone who missed it, he got up there and was a bit nervous and he said, I'm so nervous my heart's going a million minutes per second, which uh, everyone had a good laugh at him for that one. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. The AFL seemed very keen to get um, get another interview out of Higgins. So getting him up on the podium, I think, might have been part of the reason why he got that award. Speaking of speeches, during uh, Mitchell's um, winner's speech, he was mentioning Clarko and they panned over to him and uh, got caught nodding off a little bit, having a bit of a snooze on the side there. Did you catch that one? Yeah, I did. Um, I think Clarko's just, yeah, just too too important for caring about the Brownlow at this point in time. <laughs> like, you know, one of the the greatest coaches we've seen so uh yeah he's got better things to do probably thinking footy yeah probably i reckon he's one of those guys who gets up at like five o'clock in the morning and does like training and he's probably also one of the guys who enjoys a few of the beers and he was probably having a few beers there and sort of got himself into a bit of a sleepy mode there moving from one of the 
greatest coaches of all time to one of the greatest players. So Gary Ablett Jr. notched up his 234th Brownlow vote, if I'm correct, and that puts him on top of the all-time list. Yeah, most uh, Brownlow votes ever. So 321 games, 402 goals, and now 234 Brownlow votes. Best of all time in that, and in my mind, just the best of all time there. He's the GOAT for me. Um, Just amazing to have that many votes. He's got stacks both for Geelong and Gold Coast there now so doing it both clubs in very different circumstances he's just an incredible player um, one player who might be in the running to beat that record one day is Nat Fife, who polled 16 votes this year from only 15 games and that puts him up to 153 uh, games and 141 votes which is second as a ratio only to Hayden Bunton who had 122 votes from 117 games back in the day. Yeah, old Roy boy, one of uh, your boys from back in the day. Voting was a bit different back then, so these are like adjusted values. But um, yeah, the only player to have a positive uh, plus on the uh, votes to games ratio, and everyone's wondering whether Fife might be the player at the end of his career to end above him. is just incredible, isn't he? I think everyone could just see from the count this year how far he was ahead at sort of that halfway mark that um, if he stayed healthy all year and didn't get suspended probably could have even given it a run do you think um he's got another brownlow shot left in him yeah i think he does a fully fit fife is you know obviously in the top handful of mids in the competition and if you're in that sort of category then you're you're a chance at any given season um one interesting stat about hayden bunton there who polled 122 votes from his 117 games he's a three-time brownlow medalist um puts him in pretty elite company there might might be the only one i'm not quite sure um, in addition to that, he also played in the Waffle for quite a many year, and he won three Sandover medals, which is sort of the Brownlow equivalent there. So, essentially, taking home six Brownlows in his career. Yeah, Jet. I think he's on. Got a couple of people in that company. I think they interviewed uh, Bobby Skilton during the Brownlow. I think he won it three times as well. So I think there's a couple up there, but definitely one of the greats if he managed to bring home the award three times. Uh, Back in the day, and obviously his uh, 122 votes from 117 games just shows that he was an elite player. And it'll be interesting to watch Fire for the rest of his career to see if he can keep that ratio sort of ticking up a bit to, to catch him in the end. One of the stranger parts of the night, I think, was the, uh, the little section they had there on the retiring class. They do this every year. They, you know, they mention all the names and have a little photo of all the players who are retiring for that season. Um, and yeah, it was presented by, I think it was Sean Burgoyne. He, he got up and he reeled off a few names and then he just stopped and they kept rolling the pitches behind them and I don't know it might have just been me but when I was watching it sort of seemed like he was expected to get up and name all of those players but (laughs) I I don't know whether he didn't have a list or he just thought he'd be able to like eyeball it and then realized he couldn't or something (laughs) but it seemed like yeah he just trailed off he just trailed off and it seemed like that he was supposed to read all the names but just decided not to maybe he just got to some of the names and went "Ooh, I'm not reading these guys like Tyrone Vickery is that where the list's at already I don't know, it's a bit of a... It might, we might have been spoiled for choice in recent years, you know, having the big retiring classes. But this one, if Cyril didn't retire a bit early, you were left with, you know, not that many big names. You had, you know, Waite and Pierce and Johnson and uh, just a lot of uh, sort of players that really didn't end up with those big awards at the end of the uh, careers there. Also listed in the retiring class was uh, former Lions best and fairest Michael Riscatelli, who... Um, is not actually retiring. <laughs> yeah, I saw that blow up on social media. He was in the package, and then uh, Gold Coast got on and said, uh, just to reiterate to everyone, um, we're just delisting Riscatelli so we can rookie him. He's not retiring. He's keen to play on. And uh, oops, that's <laughs> a bit of a mistake there by the AFL. We'll move on now to some discussion of the final series that we've seen so far. Um, 
as we mentioned, we haven't really covered this one in the podcast yet, so we'll just do a quick recap, and that is to start off, uh, we had the Swans and the Cats losing elimination finals and going out in the first week. Yeah, both pretty big clubs over recent years in the finals, and both didn't really fire a shot. Sydney scored 30 points, and the Cats 46 in those elim finals. You normally would expect them to come out and put a bit of a bigger fight out there, especially Sydney sort of really got put to the sword by GWS there. You're thinking these teams are sort of on the way back down, or is it just one of those years where they just didn't get the rub of the green in that one match? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, we've been expecting these teams to sort of drop off for quite a long time now, and they keep being up there um, each and every year. Obviously, the Swans, with Buddy up front and the midfield that they have, they're going to be up there, thereabouts as well. And then the same said for Geelong with the midfield that they have. Can't really see them falling down too far. Um, I will say that I wasn't really disappointed to see these teams go out of the finals. I was pretty happy to see those two teams go out in the first week and then Hawks to follow them in straight sets the week after um, just to get some fresh finals matchups. Interesting with Sydney now, looking at Mitchell as a Brownlow medalist, best in the competition, they had him on their list and then they sort of said, you know, there's no room in our midfield for you, we want to play all these types, our Jacks and our, um, you know, Kennedys, Parker and Hanabry, that's our midfield and, you know, we're going to trade you off, there's just no room and then, you know, Hanabry's gone now, Jack's pretty cooked, it's looking like they need a few more midfielders and there's this one that they had in their grasp who's winning Brownlows over at Hawthorne. Yeah, it's tough to sort of really judge what was going on there in terms of pay packets. They obviously signed um, pretty big deals to Hanabry who they're now trying to offload for those sort of reasons and then obviously lands Franklin on quite a bit of money. So I guess the salary cap squeeze finally got to him, especially after that cost of living allowance was taken away. You mentioned the Hawks out in straight sets. Do you think it was one of those years where they are said to be still in that rebuilding phase and they just sort of got lucky and got into top four and then sort of it got shown out in the finals that they sort of weren't there yet? Or do you think that sort of a sort of damning thing for the Hawks that they got put out in straight sets and they're not sort of up to the standard yet? Yeah, I was surprised they finished fourth. You know, they weren't really in the top four race for most of the season. They sort of just um, almost fell into that spot, it seemed. Um yeah, I mean, as a Lions fan, we beat them twice throughout the year, so as a result, I didn't really rate them too highly. Um, for us to get two wins against them as well, one in down in Launceston, you know, didn't really put them in my head as a, you know, a premiership chance. So yeah, I wasn't really too surprised seeing them go out in straight sets. The Giants, the other team to get put out by the uh, Pies in a relatively close match. There, I think it was about ten points. Um, without Kelly in that match, they've had a few injuries this year. Do you think GWS? It's one of those moments where this is the crossroads for them and they just didn't make it? Or do you think that they're still one of the teams to beat in the future years? It could be. It very much could be. Um, I think there's sort of word coming out that perhaps they're going to face a bit of a salary cap squeeze. There could be some stars on the move. Um, and I believe that they had planned to have won a flag by this point. I think they would they would have had a, a couple, you know, probably three to five-year window they were looking at. And I think that probably started about three years ago. So obviously they've made two prelims in a row and now a semi-final um, I think they would have at least expected to have made a grand final, if not won a flag by now. And then I, I think they would have built their list profile based off that fact and then trying to get everyone to re-sign and stay to win more flags. So we could be looking at a bit of a salary cap squeeze, pushing out some stars here. And it um, could be interesting times for GWS. On the other hand, I think if they get all their players back, fit and firing to go for the whole season, um, if Jeremy Cameron can stop getting suspended, all those sorts of things, then I think they can very easily push for a flag next year. 
It'll be very interesting to see. Obviously, the big names that we're hearing about is Dylan Shield. Very questionable about whether he's going to leave or if he, if he even wants to leave. Apparently, his exit interview, he said he didn't, but there's lots of talks is coming out now saying that he wants to leave. Got Rory Lobb talking to the Western Australian teams. Apparently, if they lose someone like him, they really don't have a AFL standard ruckman probably on their list at the moment. So you're right, it is very interesting times that these players can stay. I'll probably be pretty hot on them next year, and if some of them go, it might be a bit of a scramble to see if they can either get some more players or sort of go into a mini rebuild again. Just on that note of players leaving, there's also been noted that um, Jeremy Finlayson is going to be exploring options, and that's partially pushed by the club. Um, there's some speculation that essentially the way they've structured their cap payments to different players, they, they need to have a certain number of rookies on the list so to be able to afford paying the other players that they have on the list. So uh, Finlayson is someone who could be moved on as a result. Um, if that is the case, then it'll be interesting to see what they do in terms of trades and setting themselves up for the uh, draft period and draft periods to come. Um, there's talk that they want to be getting in continual first-round picks to keep that sort of revolving door of players moving. Very interesting to see. We'll have to wait until next year. And at the end of the trade period, we might know a little bit more about the future of GWS. But for now, we're still on the uh, 2018 season. And we'll go through a quick recap of those games from last week before getting into a bit of a preview for the grand final. Um, guess the place to start is on Friday night where we saw the Pies really upset a red-hot Tigers. They won that 97-58 to at the MCG. Yeah, huge game and huge performance by the Pies in front of about 95,000. They came out of the blocks, they put five goals on or something in the first quarter, and then by halftime they were up, what, it was about 60 to 20, not even. Yeah, something like that. I think it was 10-4 to 2-8 at halftime, so a few behinds to the Tigers, but that's not why they were out of it. It was just sort of, yeah, got caught at the start, a few quick goals to Collingwood, and then it was scramble modes. It was almost as if the tables were turned and the pressure was all coming from Collingwood, which Richmond really weren't used to all year. Yeah, it's a very interesting position to see Richmond in. Obviously, um, a lot of people thought they were just Montes to work in the grand final. We sort of expected them to be there as well. Um, yeah, they looked the best side all year, finished on top of the ladder by a few games um, clear in the end of it. And yeah, just a great performance by the Pies and all built around Mason Cox. Big Mason Cox, who would have thought after his first couple of uh, you know finals, everyone was sort of getting on him, saying he's not good enough. And then he comes out and he looked like... You know, the old key forwards of uh, yesteryear. He took 11 marks with eight of those contested, booted three goals almost in a row there against some pretty good opposition, it has to be said. It's really big performance, almost the uh, three votes for Mason on the night, I would have said. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting one to watch because, you know, he's just so tall and he would just run in a straight line straight at the ball and put his hands up yeah. and everyone else would be there, like, you know, just trying to chop his arms or push him because he can't do anything else. Mm. Um yeah, it, it, it's crazy to see. Like, obviously, that seems to be sort of direction the game's going. You just got these blokes who are just too tall and have the athleticism at that height to put themselves in positions where they're almost impossible to spoil. Yeah, and they had the USA USA <laughs> chant going around the MCG. I don't think anyone would have thought that crazy. Mason Cox is sort of performing at this level when he's only really known the game what five years? Was five years ago, he didn't ever know what AFL was, and now he's uh, you know one of the best players in a prelim. It's sort of crazy to think about what talent could come into this game and what it could do to change the face of the AFL. Yeah, I think I sent you a message on the night. I was saying like you know it's almost like it, it's a bad look almost that he's doing so well because yeah. like this bloke's just come in and like you know, he's obviously quite an athletic dude and stuff, but you know he wasn't good enough to play top level basketball in the states, and then he's come over here 
and just suddenly dominate in a prelim in footy. So yeah. perhaps sort of shows the difference in athlete, I guess. Um, obviously, a lot more people in America makes a big difference. Yeah, apparently his story is that he was playing college soccer, I think, over in the States. And then there was some story like the women's basketball team was coming up against like an extremely tall team. So they got him to come in and like train with them. And then they saw him and were like, hey, we should get you to play for the men's team because you're seven foot tall and you, you should obviously be good at basketball. And he played basketball there and now he's come over and he's played football. Athletic freak to jump around those codes and everyone think that, you know, he's got a shot at each of them. Yeah, it's a long journey that he's been on and uh, all come to a head with a, a massive performance in the prelim final. And uh, good for him. His parents flew over from Dallas to see him play. I think it's the first game they've seen him play live. And uh, yeah, what a game to see. Yeah, flew in. And apparently, I think Mason tweeted out and said that his parents' flights from Dallas in America to see him play were cheaper than the flights from Melbourne to Perth to see Melbourne play. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's just based off the airlines putting the prices up because they know everyone wants to fly or... Ripping off the common man. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants to go see some footy and uh, paying, you know, $2,000 to get flight over to see the uh, the Demons play. Maybe they just knew it was the Demons and everyone could afford it rather than their ski <laughs> trip at the end of the year or something. But he did, it, he did it against good opposition, Mason. He came up against, you know, Rance and Asprey. Um, Asprey just, he played him really odd. As you said, he just sort of ran at the ball, put up his hands, and Asprey went for his normal, you know, chase and then late spoil. But you can't get there. You sort of need to put that early body on cocks and sort of sort of get him off balance a bit so he can't just like jump up and grab the ball yeah so that's what west coast were doing um, a couple of weeks ago in the first final over there they were blocking his path to the ball very well and then yeah when i was watching this game um with richmond's defenders sort of just letting him run in a straight line to the ball one that was really pronounced the commentators were talking about i think it might have been his second or third goal in that um quick little spree he had where he just had this open path straight to run from like straight up from the square just runs in a straight line and they've just kicked the ball straight to him and it's like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. why aren't you defending this bloke? Yeah, Asprey, maybe he shouldn't have even played because he was meant to be sick all week and then he came in and, yeah, really didn't put out a good performance. But even when they moved Rance off to do a little bit more work on Cox, that was almost just because Rance was doing such a bad job on Dugowie. Dugowie kicks, like, forced nags on him so they had to move Grimes onto Dugowie, which actually worked quite well as a matchup. But sort of the defenders as a whole for Richmond, we haven't seen those sort of players like Asbury and Rance get found out one-on-one like they got found out in this game. Yeah, Dugowie, a very tough matchup for anyone. I saw him up close watching um, Brisbane play the Pies um, at, at Stadium during the year, and I think Nick Robertson was on him. He's doing a pretty good job, but then... Yeah, um, it only takes a couple of sort of moments for a player like Tagoe to, to you know take a couple of grabs, kick a few goals, and then um, get the confidence up. So he's a very tough matchup, very strong for his height, um, very strong for his size. Sorry, and, and and yeah, a lot larger in person than you'd expect. He's he's a big kid. Alongside uh, Coxie and Dugowie, we saw a few of the midfielders really perform well for Collingwood. One of them, which we talked about previously in the Brownlee discussion, was still side bottom. Sort of went wherever he wanted and got 41 touches, 31, uh, 13 marks. 31 marks, that'd be impressive. But uh, just the 13 marks and the 41 touches really just... I don't know. They didn't really run anyone with him. He just sort of ran around and set up the play as he likes to do. Do you think that he was influential in the game and do you think that come grand final day he'll be allowed to have that sort of freedom yeah he was huge um probably in competition with mason cox for the best player on the ground um i don't expect the eagles to let him have that much of a free run on it um yeah i don't know what the thinking was i guess maybe richmond thought they could win the game you know obviously playing their own style of of football but came up against a team that was you know performing that style and if not doing it better um 
it obviously didn't help. I think Dusty Martin was clearly injured. Um, he was running around. He got 19 touches. He went at 58%. Um, played a lot of time up forward and didn't manage to kick any goals. So I think that might have been a big Richmond sort of behind the eight ball with uh, trying to find a match, find a replacement for Dusty in the midfield and then perhaps throwing off their midfield plans, um, allowing Sidebottom to run amok as he did. Yeah, the Dusty thing's crazy. It's hard to tell what's going on there, whether he's clearly injured somehow, whether he's been injured all year, which sort of seems the case. You know, there's rumors flying around on Big Footy and stuff that apparently he fell down a flight of stairs at a bar during the week that he was seen, like, meeting some girl at some bar and he's fallen down a flight of stairs. Um, no one really knows what's going on, but definitely injured, you'd think, right? Yeah, and it's pretty clear that he was injured throughout the season too. He's sort of been managed through this year and... Um, yeah, just unfortunately hasn't really been able to reach the heights that he did last season. So is this a failed year for the Tigers? Is it they were meant to go all the way back-to-back or is this just because they won last year and everyone's sort of sort of taken it a little bit easy on the criticism? I think, yeah, I mean, it, the aim of every club, obviously every season, is to win the flag, um, especially those clubs who are sort of, you know, in that quote-unquote premiership window, um, which the Tigers obviously are, having won last season. I think when you win the year before and then you finish on top of the ladder by a you know, pretty decent margin, then you're probably expected to win the flag. So you can chalk it up as a failure of your year if that's way, how you want to do it. Um, you could obviously look at the other way and say they finished essentially third after the finals, so it's not too bad. Um, but yeah, I think the thing I was thinking on the night was that uh, old Lee Matthews quote about dynasties being written about in retrospect and not in advance. You know, a lot of people have the Tigers written down for the next two or three flags, but it doesn't mm. always work out that way. We've seen that. Uh, many times overseas, and so even the last time Collingwood won a flag, uh, 2011, they were talked up as a, a bit of a dynasty. So 2010 against um, yeah. against the Saints, they were talked up as a bit of a dynasty, and then they were pipped by Geelong the very next season, and then sort of fell off the cliff from there. So yeah, I think that's something that people need to keep in mind that uh, dynasties of your sort of Hawks three in a row, Lions three in a row, they don't come around very often, and it's uh, yeah not not necessarily the case that whoever wins is just going to win the next two or three. We also had a uh, match on the Saturday afternoon. The Eagles really smashing the Demons there, 121 to 55. Was sort of over before it begun for the Demons. Sort of, yeah, probably lost it before the bounce. A bit of a mental game there, you think? Yeah, I'm not too sure about mental game, but it was it was over very quickly. So uh, I was actually out. I was rushing home to catch the start of the game, and I turned it on just in time to see West Coast kick their fifth goal, and the game was over. Basically, I didn't really get to watch any competitive game. Um, next minute it was 10 goals to zero and you know the game is over at that point obviously it's over so a bit of a disappointing one um and yeah i was cheering for the demons as we all know yeah 10 9 to zero six at half time it's the first time since 1927 we had a team go goalless in a half of a final so really not the stats that demons fans want to hear it just was it the hostile crowd they played their first two finals here at the g sort of everyone was around them everyone was behind them they go over to a 60,000 strong sort of really hostile environment crowd that, you know, it's really hard to play over there in that new stadium over in Perth. Yeah, I'm not really... It's hard to pinpoint exactly what went wrong for the Demons. Um, I think it is possibly the case that they just came up against a better football side. Um, the Eagles obviously had a bit more of a consistent season and could have pushed for that top spot potentially if they didn't have the injuries that they did. So obviously a quality unit, um, one that we definitely underrated at the start of the season, although that's possibly a, another story, but... <laughs> Yeah, um, I just think the Demons maybe just came up against a bit better of a football side who were potentially a bit more prepared for the occasion as well. 
On a bit of a lighter note, did you see the photo of the uh, man in the crowd at the game in the second quarter? And he's got his laptop open on his uh, on his lap, and he's already buying tickets to to Melbourne for the grand final in the second quarter. It's a pretty good plan, I reckon. Because <laughs> yeah, as mentioned, like there's no coming back from sixty points down no. um, at halftime. Really, it. In a prelim final, I don't think that's ever been done, and I don't think I'll see that really in my lifetime. So, yeah, it's probably good planning. Smart man. We had a few fantastic players on the day for the Eagles. Um, Josh Kennedy really stamped his authority in the game. Four goals, I think, all in the first half before everyone sort of, you know, packed it in and sort of just coasted to the end there. So he was really influential where the game was still there to be won, I thought. Yeah, um, great to see Kennedy firing, obviously, in this final series. Had a bit of a up-and-down season with a few injuries and niggles here and there, which hasn't allowed him to put on that performance that he normally does. And hopefully he can be a big factor next week. Um, you know, at one end, we've got Kennedy and Darling. The other end, we've got Mason Cox. So it'll be an interesting one to see. Redden is a really interesting one for me as well. Really been a workhorse this year. He had 31 touches, 13 marks, and 9 tackles. So just outstanding. One of the old uh, Brisbane boys there. Sort of really hasn't been someone who's put up these sort of numbers consistently, but probably over this second half of the year even, he's been really fantastic playing full-time as that bull in the middle. Yeah, it sort of took him a while there after he moved from Brisbane. Um, he'd put up some good seasons in a row playing for the Lions. Thought he'd move across the West Coast and do well. Um Turns out it wasn't really the case. He had a pretty poor first season by anyone's standards and then relatively average second season there as well. I think this is now his third year, maybe even his fourth year over there, but been there for a while and, yeah, hasn't really put together the performances I had expected he would. Um, now starting to show what he can do and definitely a key part of that side now um, alongside Elliot Yeo and other Brisbane boys. So <laughs> I think I'll be cheering for the Eagles um, just to see those two get up. I like those more than the uh, Brisbane boys that are on the Pies team. <laughs> We've got uh, James Aish and uh, Jack Crisp, so... Yeah, the ex-Brisbane ex uh, grand final, it might be. So on the on the Demons, they had a lot of disappointing players on the day. I don't know who is probably the most disappointing out of this list, but we had Hannon with 11 touches, Tyson with 14, Hibbard with 14, Jones 18, Lewis 18. You know, These are players you need to be getting the footy a bit more than this, and a lot of those touches came when this game was dead and buried. Yeah, just midfield well, well and truly beaten. Um, as you, most of those names you mentioned there are midfielders. Also, relatively quiet games from uh, Brayshaw, the uh, Brownlow third place there. Um, he had a relatively quiet game, um, in terms of influence at least. And then Clayton Oliver also didn't really have his usual impact. Um, I think he had decent enough stats. But in terms of yeah, actually watching the midfield contest, it was one-way traffic for most of that first half. Yeah, part of that uh, sort of change in the midfield there for the Demons was that I think Lysette and the other midfielders really had a, a good tag team and a good tactic to take on Big Maxi Gorn, who really didn't have his best game with 11 touches, 3 marks, and only 38 hitouts when the Eagles had 30 themselves. Usually his numbers are a bit more dominant than that, really couldn't get his hands on the ball or really get the hitouts that he normally did. Is that just Lysette playing him quite well in the ruck, or was it just one of those things where the game wasn't going the Demons' way? Tough to say. Uh, I think it definitely had a big contribution. Um, Lysette's job on Max Gorn, who, again, like Dusty, I think maybe he's carrying a little bit of an injury at this time of the year. He didn't really look to be moving quite as freely as he normally does. Shall we move on to a bit of the uh, grand final preview? So we've got the two big teams, the Pies and the Eagles. Probably not the two I would have expected if you gave me some guesses at the start of the year. I think I would have probably gone through about 100 sort of different uh, team combinations before I got to Eagles uh, pies. Are you the same? Yeah, very very much lower both this year. I mean, I 
Definitely didn't expect the Eagles to make it. If you told me the Pies had made it, I would have been like, okay, that's strange, but I guess I can see it. The Eagles, I really couldn't see it at all. Um, but, I mean, I even the night of, so when the Eagles won, I was after that I was at a friend's house just sitting there, and I think about three times throughout the night I just turned to him and said, like, Pies, Eagle? Like, it just yeah. doesn't make any sense. Like, how is this the grand final? So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting combination, and I guess that's a good thing. You know, I'm used, um, pretty sick of seeing the same teams play off in the, uh, in the grand final. Yeah, it's good to see some different teams. Have you seen there was uh, some good memes flying around the Facebook, some uh, ones that I read that were along the lines of, you know, someone talking to, like, a Victorian, like, uh, supporter, and they're like, oh, are you going to go for the... Uh, Victorian team Collingwood and they're like oh no no I won't be doing that oh so you'll be going for the interstate west coast no no, no I won't be doing that either <laughs> sort of a yeah. nil, all, nil all draw for a lot of people I think as a Brisbane supporter you know, already going for an interstate team I'm going to jump on the interstate bandwagon here I'm going to be cheering for the Eagles um, yeah and as I mentioned I think I like Jack Redden and Elliot Yeo more than I do Chris Benesh, Um and that's nothing against Jack Crisp so <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I think I'll, I'll be cheering for the Eagles. I don't really care who wins, though, but yeah, I think I'm going to be cheering for the Eagles on the day. Yeah, I think I've been finding myself cheering for the Eagles as well. I don't know if it's scars left over from 2010 or or what it is, but I don't know. I don't mind some of the players over there playing for the Eagles at the moment. Big fan of Kennedy. Um, have to wait and see how they all go on the day, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think I'll, I'll find myself going for the Eagles as well. So they've both tasted relatively recent Premiership success. As you mentioned, the Pies in 2010... Um, got the flag and the Eagles in 2006 in a classic. So neither of them really experiencing one of those long premiership droughts as we've seen in recent years, um, some pretty long droughts being broken, which was always pretty nice to watch. But yeah, they've, they've had recent success, both relatively successful clubs. Uh, Pies will be going for their 17th premiership, which we put in, oh no, 16th, wouldn't they? They'd be equal now. Yeah, they'll be going yep. yeah, up there for I So they'd be up, 16th. yeah, I think it'd be the 16th and that would put them level with uh, Essendon and Carlton for all-time premierships. So do you have a team of the two that you think is more deserving from the way they played this year or just from the list that you like to see sort of the better group of players getting awarded the medals? Do you look at either of these teams and think, yeah, I'd like to see those with the Premiership medals? I think from a, a relatively objective standpoint, the Buckley story of you know taking over, going progressively worse with his team and then Yes, obviously it's all clicking and, and they've made the finals um, and potentially a flag. That could be a very good story. Um, from that perspective, from the Eagles, I think they've got a few older heads there. So, for example, Shannon Hearn, um, who might not see another chance to make uh, to make a grand final or, or win a flag. Um, West Coast, I think a lot of people wrote them off at the start of the year, us included. And, um, yeah, they've done a great job to, to position themselves to be where they are. They've also pushed through. They've lost Nick Natanui for most of the year. They've lost... Andrew Gaff late in the year. They're pretty much their two best players. You could make an argument for those being mm. their two best players. So, um, yeah, hell of an effort if they can pull that off, I think. Yeah, the Gaff thing gets very interesting now with him sitting in the stands. I actually know some people who are like, I'm cheering for West Coast because I want to see Gaff's you know, face for what, you know, he got the suspension for what he did and now he's going to miss out on a on a premiership medal for it. But, yeah, definitely those are two very influential players for them. And it's, I wonder how good they would have played in that Melbourne game if they had those two guys. So the teams have matched up twice this season. Uh, one was a couple of weeks ago at Optus Stadium in the qualifying final. The Eagles got up by 16 points. And then before that, they did play one game at the MCG this season. And the Eagles got up there too. Um, it's about four or five goals on that one. Yeah, 35 points. They came down and uh, really got the job done when everyone said, you know, 
they're coming down to Melbourne, the Eagles, they can't get this win and really smash the pies down there at the G. The only other game the Eagles have played at the G this year is against Carlton, who they beat as well. So when everyone says that they can't play the G, they've won their two matches there this year. I know it's not a lot of games that they've played down here at the G, but they've won them both. Yeah, so Blues by 10 points, not the most emphatic win there. Um, obviously, the Pies by 35 is a pretty interesting one. Um, looking at the matchup head-to-head, although uh, I did see a stat about teams that have played each other playing off in the finals this season. So the teams that have won their finals were the teams that had lost their original matchups throughout the season. So if that continues, mm. then we'll see the Pies uh, flip that result this weekend. For the weather for the weekend, we see it's going to be about 14 and cloudy with some showers in the morning, so probably no showers at the time of the game, but it'll be a wet ground. Do you think that'll sort of feed into more of that Collingwood hardened-up midfield sort of style, or do you think it'll spread out a bit more for the uh, Eagles to work? I think the wetness is yeah, it could be a bit of an issue with the Eagles' tall stocks. They've obviously got Kennedy and Darling up forward, um, who are... If you think that the West Coast are going to win, you'd have to be expecting them to kick the bulk of their score or at least contribute um, pretty greatly towards that. Um, I'm not really sure whether the wetness will make a huge difference. Um, in terms of tips, I think I favour the Pies in this matchup. I think um, I, I can just get them getting it done. I think the home ground advantage, um, unearned home ground advantage, is, is a pretty big one, um, despite what people say. I also think that they probably have the stronger contested ball-winning midfield, and I think they have more options up forward. I was looking at the goal-kicking earlier, and they've had um, Dugowie, Stephenson, Thomas, and one other. Hoskin Elliott. Hoskin Elliott, that's it. All kick around 40 goals, which is incredibly impressive. And I think when you've got those four um, who are capable of putting on goals as opposed to the Eagles, sort of two keys. They've, obviously, they've got players up forward who can kick goals as well, Lacra, Ryan Rioli, etc. But I just think the Pies have a more diverse attacking setup we were talking about this earlier because i was sort of saying i think i rate sort of the combination of i think the eagles defenders i rate them a bit better you know your mcgovern's your hearns your barasses is the sort of key position i rate them more than your sort of your gold sacks and uh your house and the equivalent players on the other side so sort of looking at the plus minus i sort of think that the fords of the eagles minus the defenders there for Collingwood is a greater difference than what I see on the other end of the field but at the same time you brought up the point that you think that maybe the matchups specifically might not be in the favor of the Eagles yeah well just listing off some of the Eagles defenders there um I just didn't really see too many great matchups for those sort of speedy small to medium height players as I mentioned earlier Dego is a very tough matchup for anyone um yeah like he's quick enough to burn off your sort of key position players if you send one of them to him but then strong enough to push off the smaller players so very tough matchup um and then Stephenson with his speed hard to match up on um Thomas has a few tricks as well and Will Hoskin Elliott seems to be good for a couple of goals a game every single game so yeah I'm just not really sure they can cover all of those forward options for the Pies It'll be also interesting to see which of those forwards play an offensive and a defensive position on the ground. I know they've got to send someone to McGovern to sort of quell his ability to sort of intercept and read it out of the air. I don't know if they take someone like Majacek who's been kicking some goals and saying, you know, stick with McGovern, make sure you're in danger positions, make sure you're taking him away from the contest. Do you think they'll be putting someone to McGovern? Yeah, I think so. Um, that'll probably be one of the first moves on the coaching board, you'd imagine, and uh, as well as tagging still side bottom you'd imagine 
Yeah, the player for the job there might be uh, Mark Hutchings, who's been the tagger all year for the Eagles. He tagged Viney on the weekend, kept him to 21 touches, so he's definitely the man who's going to go for someone. Side bottom the one, or, you know, Trelaw, do they stick to a, a Pendlebury or someone if it's wet and it's sort of more important to get that sort of first touch out of it, or do you think it's just definitely side bottom is he's too important to their setup? I think it'll be side bottom. I'd be interested to see. It could be Pendlebury. Um, I'm not sure they'll bother with the tag on Trelaw, who didn't really seem at full fitness, I don't think, in the last no. game. I, I didn't really even really notice him until he kicked that ceiling goal in the last quarter. So um, I think they'll probably leave Trelaw um, and, yeah, probably go with the tag on, on side bottom. But it will be interesting to see. They might go with the Pendlebury tag. Shall we get to some tips for the day? Yeah, um, so I've sort of played my hand here. I think the Pies are going to win. I'll be cheering against them, I think. I'll be going for the Eagles. Um, but... Yeah, I think they're the favourites for a reason in terms of betting odds. They what are they sitting at now? They're a dollar sixty-seven. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that seems about right to me. They're a slight favourite there. Um, I could see them getting up, maybe four or five goals in the end. Not really sure it's going to be too close either way. You got a tip for Norm Smith and first goal for us as well. Yeah, I think first goal will come from one of those one of those pies Fords that I was been mentioning. Um, one of the four, I think. They've kicked a lot of goals um, as a collective unit. They like to share it around, um, sort of Richmond style even. Um, I'll, I'll take a stab here and, and I'll just say that uh, Josh Thomas will kick the first goal. That's a pretty random pick. And uh, Norman Smith, I think if I'm going for the Pies win, it's probably going to be a Pies player. Um, well, let's just go with Mason Cox. Let's hope Mason it can Cox. Being Mason Cox. The story. Wait and see. That'll be amazing. Um, I'm actually going to go against you. I don't know. I've just got a feeling that Eagles will turn it up. You know, Collingwood's coming off a six-day break and a big euphoric win over the Tigers, and sometimes those big wins come with a bit of a a lull at the start of games. And uh, I don't know. I just like the matchups and the forwards for the Eagles. I think they can get it done. I'll tip them by about 11 points. I hope it's close. I hope it's within, you know, a kick or two. So I'll say 11. Uh, First goal, I agree with those. Collingwood small forwards. I'll go with someone like Hoskin Elliott. He seems to kick a goal every every now and again as starter matches. Um, for Norm Smith, if I'm going the Eagles, I might go for Redden. That big game on the weekend, you know, big touches, marks, and tackles. If it's going to be sort of a bit of a contested game, he might be the important one. Where if they win, he's going to have to get that ball out first. Otherwise, they'll be going down the pies end. So that'll be my tip. Uh, sports bet have the line at seven and a half to the pies. Uh, with the favourite for Norm Smith being side bottom ahead of Grundy, Yeo and Pendlebury. Um, so that's what Sportsbet thinks. We've got the model running as well. We've done our uh, model tips for the game. Uh, who did the model tip in this match? The model's got the pies. Um, it doesn't. It's not expecting too close a game. I think it, it says the pies by about five goals, um, partially due to that home ground advantage, although it does rank the pies as a, a better team than the Eagles regardless. I think... Uh, the game played in a neutral venue would be it would be typically about a four goal margin, and then if it was the Eagles' home ground, it'd knock that down to about three. Um, so yeah, it's got the Pies by about five goals. Um, it thinks that yeah, they're just just too strong through the middle, really. It's a shame we didn't get to do the podcast last week because the model actually tipped the Pies to beat the Tigers, but on the flip side, it also tipped Melbourne. So uh... yeah, so it loves Melbourne. Um, <laughs> it just loves Melbourne. It's because yeah, we've said it before, but it's because they take marks inside fifty. Um, they do that very well. They do that better than any other club. They don't necessarily convert them so well. So um, sometimes it really likes their games that they end up losing um, as a result. But yeah, it did have that Pies tip. Interestingly, the model wasn't so hot on the Tigers. It thought there was a few clubs that could beat them uh, given that 
final matchup and uh yeah it turned out to be the case so i guess that's one positive for it but yeah the eagle the eagles over the demons not a great tip there. not a great tip the other way around um, can't win them all we'll have to do some extra work on the model on the off season and come back bigger and better for 2019 and see if we can get it a hundred percent next year yeah that's it um just a first run through to see sort of how this stuff would all work out in terms of modeling purposes and uh yeah now we've got a whole season of data to play with to see what worked and what didn't um yeah what what tips it was getting right and which ones it wasn't so um, I still maintain hope that it's got some predictive capacity. It was saying that the lines were pushing up pretty high there at the end <laughs> of the season. So, uh, yeah, watch for us in the top eight next season. So hopefully in the few coming weeks, we'll be able to do a few shows wrapping up the grand final, obviously. But we started this podcast as a drafting and training podcast. So hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll come out with some great rumors for everyone. We know we love the rumors and the uh, all of that coming out. So hopefully we'll get a few pods coming out in the next few weeks on drafts and trades. Yeah, absolutely. Love a good rumor. And we've got, we've got a few jotted down, so um, a few left-field ones. Maybe we'll just throw in our own rumors there, try and get something to happen, you know, like... Yeah, maybe you'll, see if we can you'll hear, like, 80 Saints in Brisbane rumors, yeah. just mostly made by us. And, like, so. if we put it out there, maybe we can convince them to, uh, you know, potentially draft or, or trade for some players that we like. We'll see. That's Who knows? the dream. Yeah, um, that's the Science of Footy Boys signing off for the Grand Final Podcast and hoping for a great game this weekend. <laughs>